Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 215 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, this is a fun one. The Giants threw 215 pitches in a game. Uh, April 28th, 2018. I will give you five podcast bucks if you tell me who threw the last of those 215 pitches. He struck out the side. Or no, he didn't strike out the side. I'm sorry. Clean inning, uh, one inning on 11 pitches. So I thought this was going to be the easiest five podcast bucks I've ever made because I thought you were going to ask me what ballpark it came in. And I would just say Coors Field because why wouldn't it be Coors Field? That's where, where I am right now, looking out on the expansive of Coors Field following the Giants sweep here. Um so, but that's not what you're asking me. You're asking me which pitcher, 2018? 2018, I will give you a big whopping hint. The Dodgers won the game 15 to six. Mm, mm, boy, gosh, I am drawing a blank. I'll Great go Great change with... up. Great change up. Fast uh, pace. Re- Reyes Maranta. Pablo Sandoval. That was the debut. Pablo Sandoval. Wow. That was the debut of Pablo. Let Pablo pitch. He pitched uh, one of the best position player. Back when position players pitching was fun, that was the most fun you could ever have with a position player pitching. Man, you know what? I I, I saw it once uh, a long time ago when I was covering the uh, the Dodgers, and uh, they were just beating up on the Diamondbacks in Arizona. 
and um, and so the Diamondbacks put Mark Grace on the mound. <laughs> and, you know, back then they had Mike Fetters and Mike Fetters had his signature move, which is he'd take a big deep <laughs> breath on the mound. And then all of a sudden his, his, he'd jerk his neck so fast he thought he'd snap it and he'd look in for the sign. And, uh, and so that's what Grace did. He, he did his, he clowned his Fetters impersonation. It busted everybody up. It was hilarious. And a rookie guy named David Ross uh, came up and he hit his first major league home run <laughs> off Mark Grace. And afterwards, Mark Grace said, well, I didn't have a scouting report on him, but I guess he can hit a 65 mile an hour fastball. So, and, and David Ross would go on to, to hit a homer in game seven of the world series for the Chicago Cubs. Who would have thunk it? But uh, but yeah, that's all a roundabout way of saying th- they used to be some of the most fun things, and you'd just be like, "Please give me like one of those a year." But right. uh, I think it's kind I think it's kind of ruined now. It is passe, and I don't want to belabor this little Easter egg, but I will give you five thousand podcast bucks if you tell me the reliever who came in to relieve Chris Stratton in that game. He pitched three and a third innings. <laughs> give me the reliever, because I, I honestly, you could have given me a million actual dollars, and I never would have gotten it. Wow. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing it wasn't like an obvious guy like like Mark Melanson or or no. uh, Corey Guerin. Um, I don't know. How about let's go with uh, let's go with Derek Law. Close. He came in after Roberto Gomez. Give me your top five Roberto Gomez memories. Yeah, I I don't I, I don't have any. I, I, is, he a, <laughs> is he a is he a welterweight? Uh, yeah, oh my goodness! Sure. The weirdest thing about it is when I I went, wow, I do not remember that guy at all. He pitched in two separate seasons for the Giants. He also appeared in four games in 2017. Zero memory, and I apologize to Gomez and, and the Gomez family. I don't know what it is, but Roberto Gomez just sounds like a boxing name to me. Yeah, I don't know what boxing. it is. It's Maybe a, it's just the Roberto, Roberto Duran kind of a thing. Oh, that's I a good know. one. All right, but we are most definitely not here to talk about Roberto Gomez. We're here to talk about the Giants in by gum. They have another September sweep in Coors Field. I didn't think I would see one of those in my lifetime. Uh, Now they're two in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Is the end nigh? You know, it's funny. Last year aside, it seems like the more the Giants have on the line when they come to this ballpark, the more it becomes a chamber of horrors. And it doesn't matter if the Rockies are good or not. I mean, you know, the ghost of Nephi Perez is strong uh, in the force here. But um, but yeah, so so they come here with, uh, you know, really nothing to play for other than pride and, and and trying to, you know, look good for to end the season. And and they throw two bullpen games. They're really compromised in terms of innings. And what do they do? They sweep a four game series. So, um, yeah, baseball, you never know. Uh, not only do they sweep a four game series, like you said, bullpen games. Do you tell me bullpen games in Coors Field? I'm anticipating at least 18 combined runs, 18 and a half zoo over under. The Giants in the last two games allowed one run. They barely missed a shutout uh, on Wednesday and they got the shutout, the first shutout since Barry Zito's masterpiece in 2012. Uh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's Coors Field. Are we, should we not be scared of Coors Field anymore? I don't buy it. Yeah, I think you go into a series like this when you have to throw two bullpen games and think, okay, let's just make sure we don't have any like Civil War era saw-like surgeries here. Nobody loses any <laughs> limbs. Um, but uh, yeah, you know what? And not only that, what I was impressed by is the defense. The defense in a place mm-hmm. that's really tough and an outfield that's really big. And a couple plays, you know, weren't made uh, here today, Thursday. Uh, there's a ball that dropped in uh, with, of course, Tyler Rogers on the mound and Luis <laughs> Gonzalez kind of broke a little late on it. There was uh, a ball that Brandon Crawford was a little indecisive on and, um, and he only got one out instead of two. But then Crawford made a number 
number of fantastic plays, including probably one of his best plays all, all season. Mike Yastrzemski made a really nice play. And, um, you know, it's we haven't seen really good defense from this team all year. And so to see them really flash the leather pretty much the extent of the four games in probably the toughest place to play defense, um, I don't know if that bodes well for anything, but it's just kind of refreshing. I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't talked about the defense in a while, and I do think that it's better than it was, and where it was was the worst in the National League, at least, if not the worst in the in both leagues, uh, but it was fantastic. And when you say, okay, the defense has been so bad this season, the Giants' defense has been one of the reasons why they are not even sniffing the playoffs right now, well, what's gone wrong? And you can point to some obvious, okay, well, they, they play Jock Peterson in the outfield more than maybe they wanted to, uh, Luis Gonzalez isn't a, a plus outfielder out there. You had this. Brandon Belt was hurt. But then you start getting to the reasons like, well, Brandon Crawford isn't as good. And part of you says, okay, you know, I guess he's 35, whatever. But then another part of you says, that shouldn't last. I don't care if he's 35. I watched a 73-year-old Omar Vizquel do wondrous things out there. <laughs> and Brandon Crawford, like, he was really good just last year. And, man, he looked like his old self, uh, at least in the field in Colorado. And it was really refreshing to see. And by old self, I mean getting that ball in the hole and rifling to second for the force out, starting the double plays, just doing everything you expect and take for granted when it comes to Brandon Crawford. Yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, Omar Vizquel back in like 2005, 2006, whatever. You had like Jeff Vicero was in his 40s on that team. <laughs> Barry Bonds was in his 40s. They got Moises Alou, who was near and 40. I think JT Snow was about 37 or 38. And uh, yeah, that was the year that the um, they replaced the Powerade jugs with Metamucil. And, uh, and <laughs> really a brilliant, brilliant marketing strategy. I'll tell you a quick, quick, uh, quick story along those lines. I, and I think about it every time I walk into the visiting clubhouse at Coors Field, they have these big black leather couches that have been there forever. And they're like in a big U and there's a big screen TV. And I'll never, ever forget walking into that clubhouse one day and it's Barry Bonds and he's just completely lounged out. And next to him is Steve Finley. And he is also completely lounged out. <laughs> they are transfixed at what they're watching and it was one of the daytime TV shows, and it was Celine Dion performing. And I thought, I'm not covering a young team. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, come on, but listen, I am in my mid-40s, and that, that uh, the racking out part, that describes me. But, but Celine mm -hmm. Dion, I, I don't know. Like, what would, be, what would the comp be for us uh, in 2022? Because you and I are roughly the same age. What would we be listening to or watching where someone would walk in and go, oh, boy, Bags and Brisby are at it again? You know, it's funny. I had my um, uh, phone on on shuffle, and uh, a, a Christopher Cross song came on. Mm. Uh, I think it was uh, it wasn't sailing. It was the other one. I forget. But I remember thinking because he's got such a weird voice. You know, I'm like, would a young person listen to this and be like, "What in the hell is this?" Or would they think it's a timeless classic? I don't know. I think the yacht rock stuff is uh, hip. Uh, among certain circles, amongst the youth, uh, in part because of the the revival that started with the the web series Yacht Rock. But in general, you can get smooth. Like when you're talking uh, Thundercat, do you know who Thundercat is? No. He's a fantastic bassist, just a fantastic uh, musician. Uh, he, he straddles funk. And anyways, he had a song with Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins on it uh, just one album ago. Like it's, it's hip again. So Christopher Cross, if you're listening, uh, you're hip. Now, what was the reference you made on Twitter? You retweeted something or responded to a, to a years old tweet where you made a reference to never hearing a popular song before. And I wasn't quite sure what, what that was about. 
It was Killers, Mr. Brightside. And it is a song that apparently it's the kind of song where if it comes on in a bar, uh, people of a certain age, uh, their 30s uh, and up to 40s, will just start singing like every word because it's it's their, uh, I don't know what, what the comp would be. It's, it's their uh, Sweet Caroline or something. And I swear to goodness, I had no memory of this song until... Uh, I don't know, like uh, until that tweet and, and now I'm caught up. And the very next day after that tweet, I heard it. I heard kids playing it, 13 year olds playing it the huh, very next nice. day. So, yeah, I don't know. Just the, the the world's weird. It's funny. The older you get, the more you have just like a weird like Swiss cheese hole gap in your pop culture knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then those holes just get bigger and bigger. <laughs> and then you wake up your one day and, and it's what are these kids today listening to? So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to to stay as young as I can. Yeah, I'm so old. I can remember when the Giants used to lose all the time at Coors Field. How's that for uh, <laughs> reeling us back in? Wow. Um, the bullpen has been really, really good. Good. And listen, at this point, with bullpens, it's always you wonder if it's gold or if it's pyrite, uh, just because of the sample size. It's just because this and that. But you wrote a very nice piece, I thought, on Tyler Rogers. When I was trying to project what the Giants might do this offseason, I penciled in Camilo Duvall as the only guaranteed spot in the bullpen. And then I, I hedged my bets and said, well, you can probably assume Brebby is going to be there. And I'm sure that there are going to be a couple other holdovers. And I was thinking Tyler Rogers. I didn't want to put it in print because I wasn't sure. And lo and behold, like a couple hours later, you get the scoop that, uh, oh, yeah, they're really counting on Rodgers next year. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I'm pro Tyler Rodgers. Yeah, it's funny. When I read that, I was like, hmm, a little Tyler Rodgers erasure here. Interesting. <laughs> um, I, I will tell you that when I write about Tyler Rodgers, I cringe when I go into the comments because yeah. some people have just made up their mind about him. And it's I, I, I do think part of what we do is education a little bit because there are some things about the game that, you know, are, are maybe not always super um, easy to figure out or, or don't make sense on a surface level. And the fact is Tyler Rogers has given up three home runs all year in 70 plus innings. And that means he's got the best home run rate of anybody who's thrown as many innings as him. And that's like 170 pitchers in the major leagues. And uh, I, that's totally what this uh, front office, what this coaching staff values is, is get me some non-barreled contact, get me some low exit velocity contact and keep the ball in the ballpark and don't walk people. And obviously um, the walk rate has has doubled and, and you really went underneath the hood a few weeks back with your Tyler Rogers piece, which is linked in mine. And, um, and, and notice the swing rates are, are, are way, way down uh, by, you know, almost like eight or 10 percentage points. Um, and that probably is leading to a lot of the walks. And so, so he's probably going to have to be in the strike zone a little bit more and just maybe not focus on not walking guys, but but making guys swing more. However, he has to make that adjustment. Um, and But, you know, it, it still, if you throw out the one game against the Mets, which I know is sort of cheating, um, you know, he's got a, like a 299 ERA and he's been fine. He's been fine. And that's with the, just a terrible defense behind him. So um, and, and interestingly, Evan Longoria told me that, you know, I don't know. If, you notice this, but they've they they never played an exaggerated shift. There's only one they've played on him all year. He's one of two pitchers, along with Tim Hill, that has basically not been uh, uh, no one's shifted behind him all season. Uh, but they do still play exaggerated positioning. You know, and they've tried a whole bunch of different things, and and nothing seems to have worked. And played at different depths. Now they just play totally straight up totally, completely straight up. And it's worked. And it could be just, you know, that's the way the ball's bounced the last 
um, you know, eight or 10 outings as he's put up zeros, or it could be that, you know, maybe they just figured out this is the best way to play behind him. But uh, either way, he fits what they really value. And it's going to be probably up to him to have a run of success and, and, and cut down the walks a little bit to move back into a seventh, eighth inning role. But even if he's on this team as, a little bit more of a multi-inning guy who pitches earlier in games, he's still super valuable and he's still going to be worth way more than whatever he's going to make in arbitration. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you you know that you're going to hear it in the comments whenever you mention Tyler Rogers or write about Tyler Rogers. That might be one of the primary reasons that I left him off of that list in that article that I wrote where I, I said, you know, I, Brebby is probably going to make it. And I was thinking, and probably Rogers, but I just didn't want to throw that red meat out there. And I just sort of <laughs> wanted to hint at at it that he's probably going to be back but listen it since that blow up against the Mets on May 24th, that was May 24th. Again, that's a long time ago. He's pitched 44 games, 52 and a third innings with a 2.75 ERA. He's been Tyler Rogers. You know, he's allowed an OBP of 295. Like you said, he's not given up a, a lot of long balls. He is. But I, I think two things can be true. One is I'm not eager to see him in that seventh, eighth inning role again, like maybe ever. Uh, but I also think he could be very, very valuable doing what he's been doing. Uh, sixth inning, fifth inning, uh, maybe he comes in the second in a bullpen game, just wherever you might need him, wherever Gabe Kapler wants to use that utility knife, that's that's the guy for him. And he's been a little bit of a security blanket for Kapler since he arrived. Yeah. I mean, obviously he, in both bullpen games, he was the second guy up and he pitched multiple innings both times. And uh um, and got the win in the first game, uh, which uh, I don't know if you saw the the piece I wrote the other day, or, or what I what I led into the Tyler Rogers piece actually was, you know, Evan Longoria was getting all of the goop out to dump on Sean Jelly for his first major league <laughs> win, and and then someone looks at their phone and they're like, oh. Tyler Rogers got the win, not Jelly, which is the the by the scoring rules, that's the way it has to work if if you're the reliever who gets the lead and the team doesn't relinquish it. So um now the the one difference is if you're a starting pitcher and you don't pitch five innings and the team takes the lead while the starters in the game and they don't relinquish the lead, then the official scorer can pick the most effective reliever in his or her reckoning. Um but uh, but in this case, uh that wasn't that wasn't the set of circumstances. So Tyler Rogers snaked the win and uh, and Sean Jelly is going to have to just wait another day to see just how much of his 611 frame can be crammed into a laundry cart and wheeled into the shower. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Now, let me just uh, show you how broken my brain is. When you said that Evan Longoria uh, was ready to get the goop out to dump on Sean Jelly in celebration of his win, I thought, well, this brings up an interesting question. If you are Sean Jelly and Evan Longoria has carefully prepared goop, would you rather have actual jelly, like strawberry jelly dumped on you? Or would you rather have KY jelly? dumped on you. Which one would be more offensive, harder to get off? Which one would offend your sensibilities more? How about how about a, a big smear of peanut butter? And then he can be <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Oh, that's good. That's good. Just, you know, it's a yeah. you know, that maybe just a smear it all up on his hair. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like yeah. that. That would also be really gross to wash out, so, which is kind of the <laughs> point because, because uh, you know, it's a sense of arrested development sometimes in major league clubhouses, but they like to have fun and, uh, you know, I, I have a I, I have an, a, a notion, and I, I probably should save this because I want to write about it at some point, but I think that we need to fundamentally change the scoring rules around pitcher wins. And mm. I don't think relievers should get them at all. I don't think they should get losses either. I think they should get holds or saves, and that's it. And, um, and, and you know, if you win 90 games in a season, you don't have 90 saves. You have to have a set of conditions in which the reliever comes in and gets the save. I think it's the same thing for a starting pitcher. If, if you have a set of conditions that the starter meets, then the starter gets a win. And if he doesn't, uh, then then he doesn't get the win. And so that's uh, that that's what I would do. But, you know. I, I guess that would they'd have to blow up like statistics from all time and then uh, do messy things like that. So it'll never happen. But anyway, that's my idea. I'm subscribing to your newsletter. I just will reiterate that I hate the hold and specifically the part where uh, it's a five run lead. Reliever comes in, gives up four runs in a third of an inning and gets the hold. I hate that. So we'll we'll need to, to monkey around with that a little bit. But in general, yeah, especially with starting pitchers going shorter and shorter. Uh, you know, if you have a starting pitcher go four and two thirds innings and give up one run in a game where the manager was expecting that sort of start, I I don't know. That's kind of like a a modern, that's a quality start in 2012. Just like a a weird modern quality start. Yeah. And you say, well, what do you do with losses? And I say, well, just forget about them. Don't have losses. (laughs) I mean, you you have blown saves. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of a stat, right? So you could have like, you know, um, maybe like a blown win. I I don't know. Maybe there's some equivalent to it. But um, yeah, anyway, it's never going to happen. It's just in my mind. But um, uh, you know, so we can get back on the topic of discussing. Oh, I don't know. You want to talk about Aaron Judge and Barry Bonds? <laughs> I am in the middle of writing about this because uh, because of your tweets, you responded to uh, some uh, content produced by Buster Only, where he said that Aaron Judge is having the most uh, impressive baseball season of all time. Uh, hyperbole, yeah, but I I understand some of the points that are being made where uh, you have relievers, more relievers are throwing 95 plus, you have uh, all of this data to sift through and attack individual hitters more than, you know, when Babe Ruth was up, it was, "Eh, don't throw one down the middle, but now it's, well, Aaron Judge is weak on sliders when you throw it in this zone 62% of the time, like you can get granular and that that is probably favorable to the pitchers. I don't know. It's, It's tough, but Give me Barry Bonds hitting 73 home runs. That is more impressive to me. Steroids or not, I don't care. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want you to give away your whole 
uh, piece right here or right now. But, um, you know, if, if you're comparing eras and you're comparing, you know, stuff in the hitting environment, well, okay, well, we can do that. Judge is out slugging the MLB average by 309 points. He's sitting, he's slugging 705. Barry Bonds out slugged the league in 2001 by 436 points. He slugged 863. So yeah, it's a tougher slugging environment. The the average slugging percentage is is, is lower by 20. Uh, do my math here. 31 points. But you know, Bonds is still you know head and shoulders above the league average more than Judge is, and he did it on. I, I got to think way, way fewer pitches in the zone uh, hmm. to swing at, which, uh, okay, you could have pitchers throwing the nastiest stuff imaginable, but you could have a super nasty two-seamer that's running 99 miles an hour. But if it's in the zone, theoretically, you you can hit it. I mean, if 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 uh, pitchers aren't challenging uh, you as a hitter and you don't get anything to hit, that's even more of a certainty that you're not going to hit a home run, right? That's at least the way I look at it. Yeah, I, I just, listen, I get the performance-enhancing drugs uh, as being an asterisk. And I, I empathize with that because, yes, it was not something that everyone was doing in 2001, 2002. Most of the the hitters, perhaps. I don't know, but uh, it's it definitely allowed him to stay fresher. It allowed him to play in way more games than someone in his late 30s should have been able to play in, and it, it helped him recover faster, and which gives him better bat speed in September. I get all that, and, and that is all valid. I don't want to dismiss that out of hand, but when I look at, especially 2004, when he hit 362, he had 617 plate appearances and 373 at-bats. He was intentionally walked 120 times, 232 walks total, only 41 strikeouts. That's not all performance-enhancing drugs. That is just a hitter at doing things that baseball players should never ever, ever do. That, for my money, 2004 was the most impressive season I have ever seen and will ever see. Right. And, uh, I, you know, it's it was, uh, I mean, 120 intentional walks. It, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. But, uh, uh, you know, I guess to play devil's advocate to you a little bit, and I, we did have this uh, conversations back and forth on Slack earlier today, um, you know, to be walked that many times, especially intentionally, was a choice that, you know, that was not the action on Barry Bonds. That was a choice that was made uh, externally. And yes, it was made partially or at least mostly because he's, you know, the most dangerous hitter on the planet. But there was also a lot of, you know, FU's uh, uh, sort of a context or subtext to that. Uh, a lot of managers, Larry Durker's one that comes to mind, you know, they they did not want to to be a party to Barry Bonds hitting another homer and getting closer to Hank Aaron. And, and it really became kind of groupthink for a lot of managers. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a part of it, too. Uh, so, um, I, I just think that season is was just so warped on so many levels. Uh, and it wasn't just because of what Barry Bonds did. It's because of what everybody did around him. Um, but, yeah, you just go back and you look at, you know, what he did relative to the league. And it's you can look at Judge this year. You can look at the, the height of the uh, those those Bonds years uh, that we're referring to. And obviously a, a very Wild West era for performance-enhancing drugs. And then you can go back and look at Babe Ruth hitting, you know, 56 homers when nobody else hit 20. In like 1920, 1921. And, and those are probably, I, I would think that 
those have to be considered the greatest offensive seasons in history. There's probably a few more you could come up with, but uh, those are the ones that I think probably leap off the page. And then the argument becomes, well, that's uh, pre-integration. And I, I really empathize with that argument because that makes right, sense. for sure. You know, if you take out, if you just had uh, uh, teams filled with uh Team, with players who mirrored that restriction now, man, who would be the worst pitcher on our roster? It would be someone who would be in double A now, single A. It would be wild. So uh, I, there's there's all of that goes into it. I just, the idea, and I will say that that Judge right now does remind me of Barry Bonds in that way where he is not getting a ton of pitches uh, to hit. If you plot uh, like all the pitches in the zone on a graph, you can point right away to Aaron Judge as an outlier. Like he is seeing fewer balls in the zone. The other players around him are like Javi Baez and, and players who don't see baseballs in the zone for obvious reasons because they'll swing at it. But uh, Judge is not seeing all that many balls in the zone. But when he sees one, he's putting a great swing swing on it. He has that anticipation that Bonds has, maybe not in the same level right now, but that's when he's getting 60 home runs, he's doing it by, I'm just going to take whatever they give me and do some damage on it. And I'm going to be better at it than everyone else. And it's like, so I don't want to be like poo-pooing what Aaron Judge is doing. He's reminding me of Bonds right now. It's really impressive. Yeah. I, I went on fan graphs and I looked at, you know, just what's the zone percentage. And it was, uh, I wish I could quote it right now, but it was in the forties and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and we don't have zone percentage for for like 2001 Barry Bonds. I think the only year we have is 2007. Mm. But I mean, you're right. I, this it's just so cool. I think to see somebody who's capturing everyone's attention and he plays baseball, and that's good. That's good <laughs> for all of us that love the game or that make our livelihoods in the game. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if it's so great that you know the Yankee. Tickets at Yankee Stadium are in the thousands now. I mean, wow. um, it's it's good the demand is high, but uh, you know you know, want to see people try to be able to go to games. Uh, but um, but yeah, the, the interest level is it's it's not quite McGuire Sosa right right now, but it's you know it's a guy in the biggest media market in the country, uh, you know, doing something. Um, going for an American League record that's you know held by you know Roger Maris and it's just it's just so neat. I'm just so glad that this he's bringing this much attention and focus to baseball because it's it's just great for the sport. It is, and then you get to the part where uh, Friday night's game is going to be on Apple TV Plus, which is a big <laughs> womp, womp, womp. I mean, nothing you could do. You plan that stuff way in advance, and I get why the teams want that money, but wow, that is unfortunate timing. How many people are going to buy the little uh, Apple Apple TV set top thing, thinking that's the only way you get Apple TV Plus? <laughs> oh oh, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be in the, in the thousands, probably, probably oh, in the thousands. That hurts. That hurts my heart because you're probably yeah. right. That's a good call. Um, I will say that when it comes to Barry Bonds and Aaron Judge, uh, one thing everyone can agree on. Uh, Giants legends. <laughs> right. Yeah, Maybe exactly. not yet, exactly. but in, in the future, in 2030, we'll look back and go, wow, I can't believe that we, uh, as, as Giants observers, got to watch Barry Bonds and Aaron Judge. What a time. What a time. Well, this is where you sell, send your self-addressed stamp envelope to Buster Posey, <laughs> Giants Ownership Group, care of 24 <laughs> William Mace Plaza, San Francisco, California. Yeah. So I was yeah. a little surprised by the Buster Posey news. I, I like it's not like I expected him to disappear into the middle. But it was a little bit of a quick turnaround to get involved so quickly. Um, So that surprised me. Did it surprise you? Was I just uh, looking somewhere else? 
That it happened so quick surprised me. But, uh, you know, I had heard that Buster did very, very well for himself, uh, not, not just in career earnings, obviously, because, you know, he didn't, I don't think he earned more than 200 million just in career earnings, which, haha, well, only 200 million. But you're talking <laughs> about a franchise worth like 4 billion. So you're not going to, that's not going to go very far to buy a chunk of the team. Um, but, you know, he's made a lot in endorsements. He was on the ground floor of, of the Body Armor Sports Drink. And I think he's cashed out because it wasn't just, uh, he wasn't just, you know, doing the commercials. I think he he owned a part of the company and and he had some some money to throw around and to park somewhere. And and I, you know what? It's it's just a perfectly smart Buster Posey play because <laughs> I could not see him doing uh what what the Giants have some other you know of their former legends do, which is okay, we need you to go to suite 205 and glad hand there for 15 minutes, and then we need you to go to speak to this group. And you know, it sort of you're almost turned into a mascot in a sense. And, uh, you know, it's it's not to say there's anything wrong with it. I mean, the Giants keeping a connection to their franchise legends is one of the things they do uh, better than anybody, um, you know, whether it's Will Clark or Barry Bonds or, or whoever they bring in. And uh, uh, but I just I just didn't see Buster doing that or being put on that kind of a schedule. He really likes to do things on his own schedule, uh, not uh, sort of have people be counting on his time. And this allows him to honestly just be above the fray and he can uh you know come and go as he pleases and be as involved as he wants to be the fact he's got a board seat means that even though he probably doesn't own a significant portion of the team he's probably like basically an analog to magic johnson with the dodgers he's still gonna have i think a lot of influence and he has had a lot of influence on greg johnson on the other board members um and and that's going to be valuable you know i talked to brandon crawford about it talked to evan longoria about it and they they're thrilled Although I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm writing this now, so if you're listening to this, you may hear this before you read it. But Brandon Crawford said he sent Buster a text message when he heard the mess when he heard the news, and his message was, "Just so you know what you're getting into, I've heard that owning a baseball team isn't a money making business." <laughs> <laughs> that is so is, perfect. Of course. An oblique reference to uh, Rob Manfred's comments uh, oh. during the lockout, where he said that owners can make more on the stock market. So, um, you know, Brandon Crawford's digital persona, same as the one in person. I love it. So dry. So, so, so dry in the best possible way. I, I just, I, I'd want to shout out former McCovey Chronicles writer, Doug, who uh, he has a very good newsletter uh, that you should subscri- subscribe to, Giants Doug at Substack. Uh, he has been going through all of the owners. He has been going through the principal partners of the Giants one by one and crossing them off and just uh, in a series called Who the Heck is Giants Owner Blank Anyway? And he digs into their business and how they got involved. And he his latest one was about Buster Posey. So uh, good. Congratulations. Ah. He didn't have to go and uh, dig through to, to get a lot of material for that one. So uh, he, he deserves a break. Yeah, I've, I've done that before in the media guide. You see all the names and you're like, OK, you know, some of these people uh, stand out right away. Um, you know, it's, a lot of them are titans of Silicon Valley. But it's like, OK, Jed Walentis, uh, how many billions are you worth and how did you make it? You know, and, and it is. It's interesting to see where everybody comes from. It's like at one point they had every spot on the bingo card. They had an Oracle person. They had a, an Apple person. They had a, you know, a Hewlett Packard person. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's changed over the years. And, uh, but, you know, I think lately the ownership group has been pretty darn stable with who's owned the biggest pieces. And, uh, and obviously the Johnson family uh, owns the biggest share. And, 
and yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, it is really interesting to see who sit who sit who sits on the board, who has a lot of influence. Rob Dean is is an owner that has a lot of influence, of course, uh, uh, married into the Harmon Burns family, and um, and yeah, it's, it's there's been quite a bit of stability there from that ownership group, and, and I'm sure that you know Buster knows all of them already, which is going to make this transition even easier for him. If I could go back to 1992, I I would have bought a stick. That's what I would have done. It would have it would have appreciated well. I, I should have been a part of it on the Giants. You know what? They, what a hundred million dollars. So yeah, you put in. Let's say you put in a hundred bucks. What's um what's what's the quick math on that? What would that what would a hundred bucks be worth if you appreciate from a hundred thousand to four billion? Or, I, or oh, sorry, sorry, a hundred million to four billion. I not only was I not was I told there would be no math. I was promised there would be no math. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry. I don't even know how many zeros. I'm trying to type it right now, and I don't know how many zeros are in billion. I'm giving up. I'm giving up. That's Let's just okay. say, yeah, it would have been a good place to park some money in in uh, in the early '90s. We are scribes. We are not mathematicians. My when my parents uh, bought their season ticket stake, I think they put money down in at the groundbreaking, which was what 1997. They looked at the condos across the street and said, "Gosh, we it would be a stretch, but oh, it would be nice to buy a little condo for two hundred thousand and just have a place to flop <laughs> afterwards." And so they're regretting that almost as much as uh, uh, not buying the Giants. Yeah, yeah, the Pieta Terra that almost was. Mm-mm-mm. All right, this has been episode 215 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back next Monday, and we will talk about what the Giants did in Arizona. The entire baseball world will be watching, so we'll see you then. <laughs>